Welcome to the Mad Men Happy Hour, the officially unofficial podcast for Mad Men on AMC. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. Uh, this is Season 5, Episode 6, Faraway Places. Yes, it is. I'm butchering this intro because we just recorded the intro for the Justified Cast. I'm watching it all come <laughs> to pieces. It's rough, man. Back-to-back intros. Uh, it's a bad trip, man. Yeah, so Faraway Places. What did you think about Faraway Places? Best episode of the season. Top three episode of all time total curveball though right oh sure i mean i got that they were playing with the 60s theme for the last few episodes but this really played with it. Um, i gotta put it up right there with suitcase carousel the greats uh, yeah it, it was one of the greats uh if not for roger's part alone i mean wow yeah fantastic yeah uh, I did want to say before we get into this too much, uh, we apologize for release, releasing a day late, but I think you had some uh, unintended absence. For yeah, Tuesday I had, night. That we I had a to. I had a whirlwind tour of the Southwest United States. Yeah, fun it was fun. Last minute business crap. Nobody cares about. But yeah, I do apologize but, yeah. for being the uh, the robot that pulled the bolt out of our podcasting <laughs> podcasting <bridge>. schedule. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And all the listeners fell. Definitely. So, sorry about that. Uh, the other announcement is Hojo's is giving away a free night stay to anyone with the name Don Draper from May through the end of August. Not kidding. This is a real thing. Mm-hmm. This is a real deal through Howard Johnson's It's hotels. brilliant. Really smart, yeah. I mean, it's going to cost them nothing. Mm. And, you know, we're talking about it. It's gone through a lot of the different news sites that cover TV and all that kind of stuff. So it's free advertising for how many Don Drapers can there be in the United States? 50? Uh, actually, I think somebody looked it up online and there were about 270. 270? Uh, nationwide. Times $100 so, a night? Yeah, yeah, which doesn't actually come out of their pockets. So you No, know. probably not. Yeah. So good, but, good, uh, good advertising there. If any of our listeners are named Don Draper, go for it. There should be a Don Draper convention. <laughs> Where, where only everyone people, stays free. And, and only people, yeah, the, you get together at the one Hojo. <laughs> the remaining one. You, and you, you at the same time, and they all wear loud sports jackets. Sure, sure, and drink Canadian Club. Drink Canadian Club Smoke as we are cigarettes. doing. I, I can see it already. Uh, I think there are eight Hojos left around the country from what I hear, uh, from what the article said. So not too many Hojos. I remember Hojo being a thing when I, I don't was remember a kid. at all. Dude, when we went to vacation, like in Florida and places like that, Hojo's everywhere. Really? Oh, yeah. Hojo's all over the place. <laughs> I just love calling them Hojo's, too. Uh, it's fun. Uh, Hojo code. <laughs> all right, why don't we get into the recap? Please. Uh, we start off this week with Peggy and Abe having a fight about candy, uh, which isn't really about candy, but then he leaves angry. Uh, he suggests while they're fighting that or before they start fighting, that they go see the Naked Prey. Uh, Naked Prey is an interesting movie. It's not the one that she eventually goes to see, actually, uh, which a lot of people thought it was. Uh, Including this guy, Aaron Hubbard. (laughs) I thought so, too. Uh, That movie we'll talk about when we get there, but uh, that's not the one. Uh, But this is another 1966 movie where a group of men are on safari... And one of the party refuses to give a gift to a tribe they encounter, and basically they kill them in horrible ways, and they let the final one run off uh, with a head start and do sort of a manhunt thing. Uh, So I don't know what that says about Abe, but it's not really the most wholesome movie ever, I'm sure. Sure. Uh, Do you have anything to say about this scene, or should we move on? Um, 
I do not. I just thought it was interesting how they book in the episode with Abe wishing wishing Peggy have a shitty day. Yeah. And then Roger at the end intoning the announcement that it's going to be a wonderful day. Yeah. And it's interesting that Peggy immediately jumps to the conclusion that Abe has eaten the candy. Like, really? You're going to you can't find it so immediately that's your that's your conclusion. That's a couple thing, man. Yeah, I guess so. You always suspect the you know, you didn't do it, so obviously it must be the only person there. Yeah, I guess. Uh, so then relationship on the rocks there, you think, uh, Peggy, I, maybe, I don't know. Peggy goes into the office and Don tells the team that he and Megan are leaving for the weekend. Uh, and luckily she finds the candy there. So I guess all is kind of forgiven with Abe, but not really. So it's her, it's her lucky candy. Basically Don gave this yeah. year before a presentation and now it's her rabbit's foot. Essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause she can't buy another cause it's not the same one that Don gave her. Right. Um, Peggy's not too happy about Megan being gone when she's supposed to be helping them work sure um and she's not happy about uh don not being in the presentation because i don't know do you think peggy's entirely comfortable on her own in presentation in a pitch um she seems like she's kind of a creature of habit and routine maybe almost a little not not maybe a little but she's even superstitious about it so yeah flying Mm -hmm. solo is probably a big deal and a, probably a big part of kind of her meltdown, which we'll talk a little bit, a bit. Now yeah, let's I want right, to disagree. Right I want to disagree oh, okay. with something that you said. Yeah. Uh, you said that Peggy seemed upset that Megan was being pulled off, like upset at her or just upset at the, the circumstances. Uh, upset in general. I don't know. Cause I actually I haven't gauged their relationship quite yet. I saw Peggy defending her against some of the charges that like Stan was putting forth of, you know, she's, she was kind mm-hmm. of sticking up for her and, I feel like Peggy and Megan both feel bad about the situation. And Megan did a very good job of expressing it. Like, this isn't her idea. She'd rather stay. Oh, yeah. Another question. When Megan stopped in, she talked about the group of students with backpacks, Mm -hmm. mentioning, like, it's the Heinz campaign. They're out camping. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Stan called her Jethro. Yeah. It's an obvious... I think it's an obvious uh, Beverly Hillbillies reference. But what the hell made her call... Him call her Jethro. I don't know why he refers to her. Did Jethro have messed up teeth? (laughs) He probably did. He's a hillbilly. I remember them all having rope belts. (laughs) That's about the only thing I remember about that show. Rope belts? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Well, I don't know what that reference was all all about, honestly. Uh, I I saw a little bit of Beverly Hillbillies when I was a kid, but uh, they were all reruns, and I was not that into it. Right. But I do think also Stan... um, summed it up that it's a vote of confidence Mm -hmm. i don't think it is i think it's another example of just don not doing his job yeah don being lazy don being love he doesn't care right yeah like like cooper tells him at the end Mm -hmm. um so let's go right into that pitch then she totally butchers it oh well she does a hell of a job presenting it at first and then he doesn't like it she totally goes off the rails and I want to talk about the, the transition because a lot of people have bitched about the transitions. Uh-huh. I did have a little pr- trouble with this one where it went from her lighting the cigarette to the fire is primal and it centered right on the campfire. Hmm. That didn't like that. I don't, you know, I just went like the last two weeks bitching about why Seppenwall and, and then we're complaining about how kind of cute it yeah. was. And that to me felt a little too cute, a little too on the nose. Well, I thought, honestly, uh, I did read Sepinwall's review, and he loved the episode. I Sure he did. I thought he was going to hate it because of the the, uh, the fanciness of the LSD montage, or the LSD I don't know uh, if he did, transitions. He the, the, yeah, they're, they it were It was little, too quirky, I thought, uh, for him to like. But I don't mind the quirky, but I thought that... 
And I don't mind like the a car hood or a car roof turning into a desktop. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about fire and then you show the fire and you dissolve the fire on top of the fire. Oh, man, we've been seeing these kind of transitions. I mean, what was it last week? Uh, th- there were very obvious things. Um, I think when Lane was talking to his wife, there was one at the beginning of like two episodes ago, two or three. Yeah. Um, where they always basically just state exactly what you saw there happen. Yeah, I don't know. It's a little too exhibit so, for me. The whole, uh, yo, dog, yeah. I heard you like fire, so I put some fire in your fire. <laughs> yeah. It's just, okay, I get it. Uh, well, why do you think Peggy freaks out here? Because I've... I've I don't I've think heard she freaks I, out. I kind of agree that she's she's trying to be Don in, yes. these, in these pitches, and it just doesn't work because, unfortunately, because she's a woman. Well, it has worked before. Like, um, she was quite effective when she was doing the... Um, uh, I can't remember what brand of popsicles, but it was the popsicles where mm. they're two together and they break it and it's like taking communion. Yeah. And she kind of brought her Catholicism into that and it really uh, worked. And I don't know why this one didn't work. I think it did work. It actually did kind of cast a spell on the client. Yeah. But so, so she had that part, but where she also channeled Don is like cranky Don telling the yeah. client how it's going to be. Well, that's the part that, that doesn't work for her because she's a woman. Exactly. Yeah. And, and he says that. And her. I don't know that 20-something Don could pull that crap off either. Yeah. I mean, when, when Don first goes to Roger and says, hey, I want to work in this business, right. I don't know that Don has the cachet to pull that off yet. Right. Uh, and, and Peggy is kind of still blossoming a little bit. I and mean, I'm, she's... But clearly, a lot of it has to do with her being a woman, too. Definitely. I mean, this yeah. is the 60s, after all. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and he just doesn't think that the nostalgia that that ad brings uh, and the nostalgia he feels during that pitch is going to apply to kids. But and that's... for some reason, he he seems focused on getting these kids to love beans. Well, well because I think that's he wants to seem, beans to seem cool and relevant for the kids next generation. Kids don't give a fuck about beans, no matter what generation it is. Uh, I don't know that that's true. I think that kids I think you want housewives in that era, right? And I think Peggy is trying to say this works on multiple levels. He yeah. just wasn't want to hear it. But mm-hmm. I also think that you know, this is another instance of the generation gap. Yeah. That he's got this condescending attitude. Well, kids don't get nostalgic. I think that's bullshit. Mm. If anything, yeah. our generation, you know, in the 25 to 35, we're nostalgic about damn near anything. Oh, yeah, yeah. 8-bit video games. Some shitty Transformers movies. Captain Crunch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we're we not even old enough to really be pulling this shit, and we are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We want to be, we're Pining eager to be days. nostalgic. Yes. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. But back then, not the case. Um, I don't know. I think he's just being kind of, I honestly, I think the Heinz guy is a bit of a dick. Yeah, a little bit. And it's funny how Ken is trying to hurl himself into the bus. Like, you know, like I Uh must divert this train wreck and he misses and he runs another intersection up and throws himself again and he just can't stop the freight train that is Peggy. He also kind of saves her there because at the very end he says they're frustrated. They're not through, you know, Uh, like Okay, Peggy we're all is. frustrated here. <laughs> yeah, Peggy might. Have, yeah, well, Peggy he, is definitely. She got taken off. Uh, he might have saved the count. He that's didn't what I'm save saying. Peggy, yeah. but he did defuse the situation, which is why yeah. Ken's a dynamite account man. Certainly. Uh, all right, let's move on to uh, Peggy going to the movies. So you notice that before, as on the way out, Bert makes him notice that everybody's yeah. leaving today. Bert sitting in the lobby reading a newspaper, no shoes. I'm telling you, he just hangs out in the office. <laughs> 
with white socks. What is this man doing? He is just mentally preparing himself to give Don a smackdown whenever it's needed. Yeah. Yeah. That's He's his, constantly just... That is, is his sole responsibility. It seems like it. We when haven't Don seen anything gets out of, of the hand, I, I will body check him into the glass. <laughs> All right. Great. Well, he's definitely going to do that. He might be hard to move on ice with no <laughs> socks or no shoes. Uh, so then Peggy goes to the movies, and there's a dude smoking weed there. Uh, Peggy shares it and then gives him a handy. Handy Peggy. Gives Just... her a hojo. <laughs> a hey-jo. <laughs> you gotta love a good old-fashioned no-lube hand job. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Make it, I'm gonna make it so dry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna make it dry for you, baby. No chafing at all. Uh, so this is the movie that I was talking about earlier called Born Free. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, and this one is actually about, uh, I guess, a couple who kind of has these lions in captivity and they eventually try to raise them into uh the wild like mm-hmm. release them uh they're trying to figure out how to do that without them just keeling over dead uh, they don't have any hunting skills I th- it, there was some interesting dialogue uh mm-hmm. yeah. when during it she you know the female second well we just don't have the right formula we're gonna have to keep trying until we get it right which mm-hmm. is kind of echoing the heinz project just being passed, just never that she can never get quite right. And also the the couple of lines that Peggy has here, uh, she says she won't survive out there on her own. Right, talking about the lion cub, uh, and aren't you worried? I mean, that to me is very much her own fears of of being thrown into this wild atmosphere sure. of, of the media uh, advertising right uh, world. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. And actually, that movie was released on. Did I say this? June twenty second, nineteen sixty six. So. We're somewhere after June twenty second. Well, we've already, I, we're already through July. Yeah, or we're in the middle of the middle of July at least because that's where we were last episode. So, mm-hmm. so I guess that's still in theaters. We the need other to movie, research when it went off when it was shown at the last screen in Manhattan. Then we can pinpoint the exact range of window. dates where she could be watching and delivering this, uh, this performance. And the Naked Prey, the other movie that Abe suggested, is actually uh, came out June fourteenth. So, oh, about a week earlier. That doesn't help, Jim. It does help. It does Interesting not. facts that people want to know, man. <laughs> uh, and now I'm going to do a long-form synopsis of both of those movies. <laughs> uh, no, let's I would m- like to hear that. <laughs> let's move on. Uh, Peggy goes back to the office and... Washes her hands, thank, uh, thank you very yeah. much. But she waits until she gets to the office. Couldn't yeah. she have done that in the movie theater? Yeah, I don't think the people on the subway, they're going to have no. to hold on to that handrail after her. are going to appreciate Ooh, that. Oh, yeah, sticky fingers. Sticky. Whole new, <laughs> very sticky. Whole new meaning. Uh, so she gets back to the office and she sees Ginsburg in the lobby arguing with his father. Um, and his father is trying to use the photocopier. Uh, I also think he nah, wants to see his son. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's a classic. Uh, you haven't been hanging around in that boy. But but he's setting up a case. What do you think this case is? I I'm getting the impression. Mm-hmm. There's a little impression that Ginsburg and family are a little off the rocker. No, haven't come you? On. Have, didn't you have a childhood friend whose parents were always like perpetually in some sort of weird lawsuit from uh, some unjust thing? Or Gerald Ford had a mind, you know, had mind radiation that he was, you know, they're wearing a tinfoil hats. Everyone's got a crazy friend. That yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm saying is he comes from this family and. It kind of makes a little sense that, that he's got this wacky coping mechanism for his past, too. Yeah. Although, I'm, I've got a lot to say about that. Yeah, subject. we'll talk about it later. Uh, so then Peggy takes a nap and gets a frantic call from Don, which we know is uh, later him looking for Megan. 
Uh, I thought that was cool how they tied that back in here with her story. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, not much to go on here. Uh, she does say that she takes full responsibility for the meeting, so she's feeling pretty bad about it. And Don doesn't even care. It, yeah, Don doesn't even hear that. No. Uh, he's hanging up the phone at the time. Possibly lost a client. He doesn't even care. Uh, and now we can talk about the alien, uh, Ginsburg. All right. This is the scene where he confesses to being an alien. <laughs> right. Uh, how serious do you take him here? I don't know. He claims to be born... He claims to be a Martian. Martian, yep. Full-blooded Martian. Uh, but he was born in a... Con- he also says his cover story is he's born in a concentration camp. And his dad, mom died there. His so-called dad adopted him from a Swedish orphanage. Mm-hmm. And then he received a simple order, stay where you are. Now, I thought it's interesting that in the more unhinged scenes, the trippy scenes in this episode, that there's yep. always a reflective surface involved. Huh. And here, um, the camera is not even looking at Ginsburg. It's yeah. looking at his reflection in the mirror, and that's how he's communicating with uh, Peggy there. So it's almost yeah. like from beyond the looking glass. Hmm. And you see that motif repeated again and again and again throughout the episode. Yeah. Uh, so from the first time I saw it, I thought, well, okay, this explains a lot. But then the more I watched the scene, I started thinking, is Ginsburg, is this just not another layer of his craziness that he's using to excuse the fact that he's an unconventional character like is he just shining peggy mm-hmm. on why does everyone assume that he's telling know. the truth here i think it's the conviction with which he says it yeah but look uh, how look at the conviction that he is like shifted personalities yeah. and you know he's just one way of peggy and then he's another way of don and he just shifts fluidly between the two mm-hmm. yeah honestly i'm not sure how much of this ginsburg himself believes uh, right, because certainly it's a much more plausible story that he was born in a concentration camp <laughs> than that being can a Martian. That, that certainly can happen, and it's certainly plausible the young boy, as a way to contextualize uh-huh. and deal this, yep. deal with this, invented this backstory again solely as a coping mechanism. Yeah, yeah, and and, and an outcast would kind of feel like an alien. I mean, obviously that's what they're going for here with the theme, um, and and Peggy feels very much the same way, and I think this scene actually. I was saying this earlier to you, fundamentally changes the relationship between Ginsburg and Peggy in a, in a direction where she understands him more. Well, she's always identified with the weird characters. For Mm -hmm. example, um, Jason from the Nattercast sends us a really nice email later on. We'll get to, and he mentions the scene in season one where Pete gives this really un and I forgot about the denouement of it, but Pete gives this really when he bought the gun for the first time, yeah. he delivers this really creepy monologue about to Peggy while she was in his office that like I have this fantasy where I shoot a deer and I drag it back to my cabin and I slit its throats and I gut it and I cut off a piece of its loin and I bring it into this wood cabin and there's this woman cooking on an, with a cast iron uh a pan on a stove and I, I give it to her and I sit at the table and she brings it to me and she feeds me and Peggy, I, and the, the camera goes to Peggy and you think she's going to be like, you're a fucking lunatic. And she says, that sounds wonderful. Like completely hmm. deadpan. Yeah. Like she's like enthralled. So there's something to what you say. She's got this history of identifying even Don. Yeah. You know, they bonded over that suitcase episode when he, they both got completely drunk, and he opened up about you know some of his crazy shit. So, well, I, I think uh, there's there are a lot of different feelings I got watching this episode. One of them was 
the relationship here in this episode between uh, Peggy and Don and Roger is that Peggy is someone who's searching for something, uh-huh. who, who feels like she's uh, adrift in this sea of possibilities. Um, Don is someone who kind of found everything he wants at the moment. Uh-huh. And then Roger is someone who had that and no longer has it and is is struggling to find it again. So I think that's what, what Peggy's feeling here. She's feeling very lost. Back and, to the Christmas past, present, and future. Exactly, motif. yeah. And, and for her to find someone else who's feeling the same uh, feeling, I think she identifies with that. And she understands where Ginsburg is coming from a little bit. Yeah, when she asks, is anyone else like you? It's almost yeah. like she's longing, too. Exactly. Yeah, so now maybe they found each other, you know. Hmm. Uh, and whether or not this blossoms into a relationship, I'm not making any predictions because I'm terrible at that. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see. I don't know what Peggy's motivations are, apparently. Uh-huh. Uh, so then Peggy goes home and calls her boyfriend, Abe, and tells him about what Ginsburg said and invites him up to to Bone. Queen I of the assume. booty calls. Yeah. I, I mean, all about it. God knows how late it is. This dude gets out of bed and drives uptown to get a yeah. little something-something. Yeah, it had to be late. It looked really late. I don't know, man. Peggy must be pretty good. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Or Abe's pretty desperate. <laughs> or both. <laughs> a little combo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's the end of the Peggy uh, story in this episode. Pretty much, yeah. So we rewind the entire episode back to uh, Roger inviting Don to Hojo's for the weekend. Uh, but but then he cancels because Don suggests that they bring their wives. Right. And Roger is not into that at that all. That ruins the whole trip, man. Yeah, yeah. And what's interesting, and I just now noticed this uh, as we were casting, is Roger was desperately trying to make other plans than going to this dinner party with Jane's oh, yeah. friends. He was trying to get out of that. Yeah. Yeah, he did not want to go, as he, he says later. They made a nice callback to the season one, uh, episode 10, Long Weekend, where they yeah. had the double-sided aluminum twins. Uh-huh. And the Roger had his first and, heart attack, I believe. Yep. yep. So, uh but, yeah, uh, and, and and this is this is a very good setup, I feel, for Roger's arc in this episode. Well, and interestingly, be more perfect. How this is going to set up Don and him for the rest of the season? Because he he as much as says is, "I need you as a wingman." Yeah. yeah, when I'm out there by myself, I'm just some escape grandpa from a mental asylum. Uh-huh. But when I'm with you, we're two rich friends and two it's, rich perverts, and and we're <laughs> dashing, and like, I feel like Roger. Feels like he needs Don on the prowl with him. And do you, do you think that's going to be significant going forward with single single Roger unleashed upon the Mad Men universe? Uh, that's a very good question. I'm ecstatic to see what Roger's going to be like now that he's kind of relieved of a lot of his relationship issues, a lot of his... Uh, he, he I feel like he understands himself a lot better after this episode. Huh. Um... But it's interesting that you bring up the the strong connection here between Don and Roger um, and his wingman status because They've we'll, we'll get into it later. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ever since the day that the Don came to him and said, "Hey, Roger, I want to work for you," uh-huh. uh huh. They they've been kind of the dynamic duo. Um. So then Roger and his wife argue in the elevator on the way to her friend's place. Uh, basically, she complains that he's always saying she's beautiful, but not much else. Yeah, it's that's all he says. Kind of a classic fight over nothing. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of fights over nothing, or, or 
nothing apparent. Yeah, well, yeah, they're fighting. Anyway. Uh, what I mean by that is they're fighting over surface issues that aren't touching the deeper issues. Yeah, yeah. But the is, deeper issues are causing the fight, which but, we also see with Don later. But with the little help of LSD, we're going to get to those deeper <laughs> issues. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, so Jane's friends, we go to the, the dinner party here at Jane's friend's place. And they're discussing the nature of truth, good versus bad, neurosis. We get a lot of psychologists around this table. Uh, interestingly enough, do you think that this truth is um, true on any planet? Talk is a nod to the Ginsburg that he is telling the truth. Am I reading too much into that? I, I think you're reading a little too much into that. The fact that they're talking about other planets, the scene after yeah. we talk, this guy confesses he's a Martian. They're certainly playing with it, no doubt. Damn you, Wiener. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're taunting you throughout the entire episode here. Mm-hmm. Um, so so they discuss this. I kind of want to talk about Roger's acid trip as... Before we get to that, I want to say... An entire section. One more meaningful... This. Fine, and I'm totally with you. Okay. Um, one more meaningful quote here from what we find out is Jane's therapist. Mm-hmm. She says that in her experience, people make mistakes, spend years finding out why think that they have the truth and then mis- repeat the mistake can yeah. is that not exactly describing roger and then don oh yeah completely like don yeah. realized the mistake he made with betty and like i just need to be more honest with her and blah 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 and i'm not going to do i'm not going to lie and all this and a lot mm-hmm. of the listeners judging from last week's feedback and what we talked about in the cast bought that hook line and sinker yeah but he still hasn't fixed the underlying problems that are truly corrosive of these relationships, his control issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, obviously it applies to Roger with his double failed marriages. Um, he just keeps making the same mistake over and over again. I don't even think he understands them, though, is the problem. <laughs> uh, not yet, anyway. And I don't yeah. even know after this trip if he understands it. Yeah. So yeah, you want to totally. so lead us into that? Definitely. Be, be our guide to the trip. <laughs> All right, we'll do. Uh, so obviously, this is a scene where the group drops acid and things get really, really weird as it kicks in. Uh, easily, my favorite scene. Uh, this little montage here with sure. him with the vodka bottle and him with the cigarette and in the bathtub with uh, the 1919 World Series going on. <laughs> easily, my favorite. Uh, probably my favorite series or section of an episode in the entire season. I mean, there's been a lot uh, of strong stuff, but this was extremely, extremely entertaining. And yeah. I think also probably and you can take this for what, 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 whatever you want to take it. But I think probably the most accurate depiction <laughs> of what it's like to take LSD that I've ever seen in a motion picture or yeah. television. Show. Especially because he thinks that it's not doing anything. Yeah. He thinks – because I don't know how many people know, but it takes a long time for LSD to kick in. Yeah. Like an hour and a half, something like that, uh, a while. So, of course, Roger's going to think, oh, nothing's happening. Everybody's sitting around being bored. And then he goes over to the bar, uh-huh. pours himself a drink. And it couldn't have been more perfect for him to take that cap off and the, the Russian angels anthems. sing. Right. Yeah. Because this is his joy in life. Sure. His drinking and boozing it up and, and fraternizing with his friends. That's what he loves to do. And it's not like, you know, a lot of times, um, for whatever reason, when they depict trippy scenes, it's like the uh, tunnel scene of Willy Wonka where there's just all this psychedelic colors yeah. and it's crazy. It's I just thought that it's the, the way they showed it is kind of like this like, expansion of consciousness and mm-hmm. very subtle things that are meaningful to that particular person was yeah. just struck me as very accurate. Uh, a lot of the, the themes of 
time and the passage of time yeah. uh, come into play here. I mean, right. the cigarette is a perfect example of yeah. that. He just totally loses track of the time uh, that he's been smoking this cigarette, and before he knows it, it's gone. Uh, and this is a theme that we've seen, you know, in the past couple episodes with Pete. I mean, he's, he's lusting after this young girl. Yeah. Uh, Roger has said, Hey, these young guys are kind of eating my lunch. I can't get, get one over on them. Uh, Roger's definitely feeling like time is slipping away. And I love how they use the memento slash pulp fiction style storytelling to underline that. Yeah, uh, disassociation from time and place and and mm-hmm. and space time, um, and it's it's such a great because a lot of times you'll see ep- uh, shows use this just as kind of a hook. You know, The Walking yeah. Dead last season did one where they flash forward and they flash back, and yeah, you know, we even argued at times like why, but here's a rare instance where it served the plot. It, and it's it, yeah. It's so weaved into the plot here. And what's so great is it worked because nine out of 10 of the listeners that we've seen in the reviews use words like trippy yeah. to describe this review. And you got to think Matt Weiner is just cackling with glee when he reads that. Cause he's like, yeah, that's exactly what I was going for. I roped you guys in. Oh, hell yeah. I apologize, uh, listeners. I've got a sudden onset allergy attack for some reason, <laughs> like DEFCON 5. So I'm trying to mute and keep it to a, uh, the disgustingness to a minimum here. Yep. Uh, a, a late allergy-ridden podcast. Yes. The audience loves the best kind. Right Jet-lagged, allergy-ridden. <laughs> uh, so uh, there's a lot of stuff going on here. Let's talk a little bit more about Roger's possible death. Yes. Is there any foreshadowing here? That Shh, anything well, at all? The Bardo, Thordal, uh, Tibetan... Book of the Dead. Book of the Dead, mm-hmm. A Guide to Dying. Well, this is interesting because I feel like they're almost going for like a figurative death of the old Roger here and a new rebirth. Because the way they state that is basically... Uh, do you have the exact quote written there, what he says? Only awareness can make reality. Only from mm-hmm. a dream can you wake to the light. So, to me, that says Roger needs to be aware of what he's doing. He's sure. currently not... Uh, I feel like this LSD trip enlightened him to a great degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you need to be aware so that you can see reality. Right. And then your dreams are going to haunt you with your reality. And to wake from that dream, you have to understand them. Uh-huh. So th- to me, that is the process that is happening here to Roger. And we also get a lot of uh, insight because Jane has been a fairly one-dimensional character. Yeah. And we got a lot of insight into her point of view. Yeah. Because the guy later drones on, all absence is death if we let ourselves know it. And she says, that's how I feel when Roger goes to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think about her. She's a young, suddenly rich, yeah. bored housewife who's dashing uh, older husband that swept her off her feet. Now is kind of bored with her and he goes to work to escape her and he goes on his junket. She knows he's cheating on him. Oh, philanderer. She's kind of feels the pressure she should do, but she, she never can quite bring it to. It's like, I feel a lot of sympathy and empathy towards Jane that I did not before because I just viewed her as this kind of drunken, shallow. Yeah. Little girl. And it also helps that both of these characters, both the one we don't know well, Jane and the one that we really love, Roger, both come to the same conclusion in the end so they're they're a little more alike than we thought at least in their mental state you know where they are right uh and and we go directly from her saying that to roger saying oh listening to these people having conversation it has nothing to do with me and he laughs this is totally untrue roger 
I think is blind to the fact that this conversation is all about him. Well, and then they um, underscore that by he's flipping through a Life magazine. <laughs> First page that you called out that it's a it's a page on life insurance. Yeah, nine dollars so a month. There again, a death a death. <laughs> <laughs> for eight thousand big dollars. Oh yeah. Uh, so they're again a death reference, smacking the upside the head. Yeah. Um. And what do you say? Something about I've been trying to find the people I won't leave behind. Oh no, that he was the, the lyrics to the song was playing behind. Yeah. And um, I thought that was interesting because obviously mm-hmm. he's he's leaving Jane behind and he left his other uh, wife behind and he's estranged from his daughter and I feel like. This kind of models Roger's soul searching, and he's looking for yeah. the people like Don, who he won't won't outgrow him, and who he won't outgrow. Uh, yeah, the problem I think here, uh, the reason Roger's been so antsy lately is because he is uh, outgrowing Don, or it necessarily he's not outgrowing Don. Don's outgrowing him. I think he's, that's the I don't think that's true, but I think he's definitely worried about it. And we it, see exactly. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't that. That's all the whole Two Face thing. Uh, I where, think that's also the partially the passage of time thing where he used to be a young man. But well, but you're right. We see him in the mirror. And that's what I was going to get to with your earlier comments uh, about gotcha. them being so heavily linked. Yeah. Is that I feel that they're almost reliant on each other. Or, or they were in the past. Um, mm-hmm. Don's kind of moving away from that now. But they're reliant on each other. They're the people that they'll never leave behind. Um, and then there's this moment where... You see half and half Roger, right. who's half Roger and, in my opinion, half Don, or, right. or maybe I'm half young Roger. Too. I'll back you. And then he splits. Yeah. He says, don't look in the mirror, and he splits. So then you got full Roger and full Don. Sure. And to me, there's a point there where Roger kind of releases that a little bit. He doesn't need Don as much there in that moment, you know? Well, and, and especially after the, the trip. And also the Beach Boys blend into the next song, which uh, the lyrics say, I guess I wasn't made for these times. Uh, like yeah. Roger making peace with that, yeah, I, I am old and mm-hmm. uh, I'm not a really good match for Jane. And you're right. I think he's letting go of maybe a little bit of that attachment. Yeah, certainly. What do you think about Cooper on the dollar bill there? <laughs> I think that's just uh, part of the trip, man. Yeah. Uh, now he sees Don in the mirror, Cooper in the dollar bill. Well, I mean, that's what know. you know. That's his like money or security. Uh, that's him what worried I was about, you know, because yeah. he realizes where this is going with him and Jane. Um, yeah. The other thing, the only piece of symbolism I don't get uh, is Jane with the yellow rose. Mm, is there yeah. some? Uh, maybe I'm missing something on that. That seemed very prominent. And it should mean something. And I didn't get it. I, I looked into yellow roses, and it. It basically seems to be friendship. Uh, You're better friends and lovers? Maybe. That's I don't just, know. I, yeah, I didn't get just, it. That's what flower shops make up. I don't think that's some kind of... Sure, sure. Well, I was reading an article in the history of it, and I forget exactly what it was, but friendship is one that stood out. And it's weird that she's holding it the entire cab ride home as well. Right. You know? I mean, certainly that's something that someone on LSD would do. Right. <laughs> grab a yellow rose on the shelf and hang on to it forever. And that's clearly real. It's not part of the trip, but yeah. I, I kind of thought it was maybe there's some significance to it. Oh, I'm sure there is. We're just not picking it up. Um, uh, so then let's talk about, I guess the next scene, they, the, they go home and Roger sees the world series playing out in the bathroom. Sure. Uh, Which I thought is interesting that the, the, their, their trip guide just let them, 
go out into the world <laughs> yeah unsupervised yeah. tripping balls send them out in a cab yeah why not what's the worst that can happen <laughs> they got their note if someone finds them they know what to do with uh, them that's right yeah yeah i wonder if they gave that to the cab driver we're like uh here take me there right we 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 are from here we would yeah. like to return <laughs> Uh, the World Series is interesting Here's because... Here's a Burt Cooper $5 bill. <laughs> <laughs> I don't take this funny money. It's legal tender. Um, so the World Series is interesting. It's another play on the time. This is back when Roger was a kid. Uh, 1919, that's, what, almost 50 years ago. Sure. Uh, in, in show terms. Uh, I, I don't really know the significance of it other than, other than messing with the time and, and stuff like that. Uh, it but, seemed to relax Jane because up until this point, she seemed to be very kind of apprehensive and not maybe having the greatest trip. But for whatever reason, yeah. uh, Roger just kind of acting goofy and, and being happy in that moment. She, uh, you know, they've kind of been apart. And even the, yeah. the reflective Don Draper was saying, you need to go back to your wife. She mm-hmm. wants to be alone in truth. This is the first time that she kind of like puts her back to his and they kind of spoon in the bathtub and melt together. Yeah, that's which a good point. then brings us to the next scene where they're joined at the head. Oh, all right, interesting. Like yeah, they're, so well, they're almost and they're, the, the way they communicate was almost like they were they had this really uh, kind of almost universal understanding where they're finishing each other's sentences and they were uh-huh. without any effort understanding what the other was trying to say. Yeah, that's why I felt that they were both in very similar mental states. There, I mean, they mm-hmm. they almost knew what they were going to say before they said it. Right. Uh, yeah, and they're they're lying there on the floor, looking up at the ceiling. Uh, basically, they confess that their relationship is over. Sure. Uh, that their marriage is done, and we wake up the next morning with uh, Roger getting ready for work, and he reminds Jane about what she said uh, the prior night's events, I guess. Uh, and he tells her that he's going to be staying in a hotel while she gets ready to leave. Right. And he's so positive, you know, the you're beautiful, last night was beautiful. And that last scene with them in the pink turbans was beautifully done. Yeah, so much of this episode beautifully was. Beautifully acted. Um, you know, when Roger said, when Jane says, you don't like me, and he goes, I did. I, I yeah. really did. It's so heartbreaking. Yeah, absolutely. That was perfectly acted. He had the best intentions getting in his relationship and ends this way. And you got to think... Uh, how is that going to inform Don's relationship? Hmm. Yeah. Because it's not like Don had bad intentions getting involved with Megan. Yeah, we're about to get to Don, but before we do, I I wanted to hit on the line that um, Jane says right before we cut over to Don about it's going to be very expensive. Oh, yeah. He's talking about the divorce. He's obviously going to lose half of his fortune. Again. Again. After just losing it several years before. Yeah, and losing uh, quite a bit to Peggy and Harry as well. Right, (laughs) yeah. Not a significant chunk. No, no, no. But the point is he's spending money left and right. He had to take out a loan uh, against a business to keep it afloat. So So Roger could run into some money problems pretty soon. Hotel's going to be expensive. The divorce (laughs) is. Uh, I also thought it was interesting how... Roger took this uh, this trip, carried into the next day with a sense of well-being, like he was yeah. really understood and he was at peace with everything, even the, at peace with the fact that she was going to take him to the cleaners. That is a very realistic phenomenon as well. <laughs> Jane wanted to run away from the truth. You know, they discovered this beautiful truth. She wanted to take it all back and deny hmm. it. That was her first reaction. Roger was, didn't let her. Yeah. yeah, I mean, she, she fesses up eventually because Roger presses. Sure. Uh, 
do you think she just didn't remember? Because I got the impression she didn't remember. Nah. Well, she didn't remember immediately. She was she had just woken up. Like she wasn't sure what was going on. Maybe I don't know, or maybe she just again the she wasn't ready to own up to that realization. She tried to blame it on the drug and all that. Mm-hmm. And Roger's like, well, I was on the drugs too, and I meant it. Yeah, yeah. So, and she came around at the end. So, but yeah, I think they both clearly did. not as positive about it as he was because she denied his kiss and all that stuff. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, and that ends Roger's story for this episode. Now we go kind of rewind Dawn. the plot again. Yeah, rewind all the way back to the beginning of the day and uh, where Don invites Megan to Hojo's for the weekend. Um, and I, there's not a whole lot to say about these first couple scenes. On oh, the, on I, the, I disagree. It's a very efficient okay. storytelling. They yeah. instantly show that Don has complete disregard for any input that she has. She, oh, okay. she's, yeah. she's got reservations about leaving work. Uh, hey, you're my wife. It's a perk for being my wife deal. Yeah, it's an, it's uh, an order. She mentions, hey, my parents are very close to where we're going. You're only an hour oh, away. All right. Don's well, like, well, we're seeing them in a couple weeks anyway. Why would we make a side trip on that? Uh, Don start just when she kind of gets her bearings and starts falling asleep. Don starts smoking, which irritates her. Mm. Um, he she keeps worrying about work. She keeps telling her to stop. Uh, he just completely bulldozes every single personal preference that continues yeah. on to the restaurant scene too. Or, yeah. yeah, damn it, she wants pie, and he makes her. You got to try the sherbet, and not only that, you have to like it, or else it's embarrassing to me. That is some crazy ass shit. Yeah, that's that's weird philosophy. I mean, you jumped ahead like four scenes or something. Deal, deal I'm with so, it, man. Yeah. Time and space mean nothing right now. I was talking about the car ride being a whatever. <laughs> I don't give a shit about that. Uh, it, honestly, to me, Don's story in this episode was the least interesting. Uh, I'm I'm kind of I feel like I know where their relationship is going now, and I'm just not interested anymore. Really? Yeah, they they need to get it done, get it over with. <laughs> They're going down the tubes, man. The cracks are showing. But why are they going down the tubes? Uh, it's because Don is Don. That, Don's always going to be Don. What the hell, man? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so whatever. Continue with the recap. All right. Um, uh, Megan is actually worried about abandoning her team at work. We see that on the drive up. Right. Um, when they get there, they're given a sample of everything. Obviously, the sherbet she doesn't like. Uh, they get into a fight over it, and Megan makes a mistake of mentioning Don's mother. Oh, it wasn't a mistake. It was a well-aimed barb that hit home. Yeah, but she didn't realize how hard it would hit, I think. The look on her face tells me, oh, I just kind of messed up there. Do you think she maybe... uh, So so this is an interesting thought. Do you think the reason that they're failing is because Megan is making the mistakes that Don made as far as not being honest, and we go all back to this actress crap that we've talked about? But fundamentally, uh, Don states earlier in the episode, Megan likes everyone. Mm-hmm. And then she herself said, when the guy's like, oh, I'll bring you something, everything, she goes, I like everything. Yeah. Uh, that's not true. She doesn't like Sherbert. Yeah, that's certainly not true. Um, so uh, do you think that she's been so easygoing and so accepting of Don that she has triggered his, you know, in a different way than Betty did, but being kind of a helpless child, she triggered his doormat reflex? I I don't know, because we have seen Don... Um, kind of doing the same thing i mean don last what was it last episode uh fuck i can't remember what it was but i don has not been behaving on his on his best either so in what way last week and see i mean he was stay away from the whores 
No, no, no. Um, I can't remember. Okay. I can't remember where I was going with that. So uh, he gets in the car, and he drives off, and he just leaves her at the Hojo's. Uh-huh. Uh, not a good place to be left, Hojo's. <laughs> you, know, you don't ever want to be left at Hojo's. Uh, <laughs> at least I don't. Uh, but then he feels guilty, and he goes back to pick up Megan, but she's not there. And we don't know how long he drove before he had to change no. it. Before he had to change a, a heart Yui yeah. and whipped it around. But he found her sunglasses, mm-hmm. and he, he picks up from the, the waitress that she left with a bunch of young young people, young fellas. Yeah. And you can tell that... You know, you got to think of this climate. You know, you had this this the serial killers are on the news, mm-hmm. and these psychos are running around. Don is yeah. on full fledged like CSI New York detail right now. He's trying yeah. to figure out what the hell is going on. Uh, I think this is partially what I didn't like about this portion of the episode is that the the search for Megan I felt went on too long. I mean, we see him calling everybody and their mother literally. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see him falling asleep till two in the morning. We see him right. driving multiple times. It's like, I don't know. The sequence didn't work extremely well for me. Uh, we also, I thought that as we started losing track of what the time it was and Don's like, you know, falling asleep and waking up, uh, we see him in the phone booth with more, you know, more reflections setting off. But I thought that that yeah. was another instance of the surreal quality of God, where's my wife and what have I done? Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, you know, he's in this, like, kind of, like, Ron Burgundy glass box of emotion <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> making these phone calls. And uh, directly related to that, we have this kind of mini trip where he yep. goes back to last September. Yep, when they were coming back from Florida. And how times are so perfect, and little Sally's all sleepy, and she wants vacation to last forever, and he does, too. Yeah, And then exactly. we flash back to Don driving, and he's not on vacation anymore. Yeah, no, he is certainly not on vacation. No. Uh, he's panicked and racing home to see if his wife mm-hmm. is there. Uh, when he does get home, Megan is there, and but she's locked the door. Don kicks it in, chases her around the house. Uh, they finally land, uh, <laughs> I guess land, crumple to the floor. And then, now this Both is, as Burt Cooper would say, medieval. I thought it is. Don busted her in the gut. Yeah, it sounds like it. She went to hit him with like a hairbrush, and then mm. we watched this like the Zapruder film, just back <laughs> to the left, back to the left. Uh-huh. He goes up with either his fist or his knee, MMA style, and, sh- and you hear this like <laughs> Indiana Jones style baseball bat hitting a stack of sweaty leather jacket sound this 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 smack sound and then uh-huh. she goes Ugh. yeah i feel like he laid hands on her and then he definitely full body tackled her to the floor oh yeah and yeah. so i read a lot of reviews that drew a connection from this to the previous uh, serial killer of those nurses nursing students in chicago where this guy's chasing mm-hmm. around the bedroom and yeah. ultimately subduing them did you get that vibe, or did you see this as – see, I saw this as a, a callback to the uh, movie to begin with where you're chasing down a human prey for sport, Oh, basically. yeah, yeah, the naked prey. Yes. Yeah, I actually just saw this as another escalation of the problems in their marriage. I, I wasn't reading into it any any kind of history with the episodes ah. there. Well, um, it certainly escalated fast, and you did. know her sobbing. How could you do that to me? And Don honestly saying, "I don't know." Like mm-hmm. this is something contrasting to Roger, who's got this cosmic revelation about yeah. his inner self and being and place in the world. Where Don 
fundamentally doesn't understand how and why he ticks. Yeah, and the thing is, he thinks he has everything, right? I mean, he's got Megan. It made him genuinely happy for the first however many months of their relationship. Uh, and and now that he's starting to sober up uh, from his uh, drunk love, well, he, he's kind of seen the cracks, too. Was he really happy with Megan or his, you know, was, she's, like you said, this yes master, this mm-hmm. master-slave relationship he had her in, um, which I think that's that kind of slight kink type of dialogue is is uh is intentional by the yeah. wiener here um, well i think they've handled the progression of their relationship really well uh-huh. i mean coming off of the season premiere where she just kind of embarrassed him a little bit with that zooby zoo thing right um to now them full-fledged body slamming each other onto the concrete which was an you know? echo from that scene where he subdued her and they had that rough exactly. sex and and yeah. but she says every time we do this every time we do this it diminishes us yeah. or diminishes this relationship a little bit which i thought was a pretty poignant observation yeah uh you know you get these vicious you get these vicious cycles that relationships get into where it just mm-hmm. each each time you go around it gets a little little worse and I thought this is now like the third or fourth time we've seen the Draper walk in. You know, it opened up season five with Mrs. and Mrs. Draper walking into the office, all uh, smiles. Yeah. Then the kind of like strained uh, relationship they had at the end of that episode. And then it's a little bit worse. Mm-hmm. In my mind, they do have it's all smiles at the end, but just the body language, it's not as perfect. And yeah, I feel like every. Genuine. Time this cycle goes around, it is descending. Yeah, yeah. And this is also another play on the, the theme of time here where as time goes on, you you wear down the relationship to who the real people are. Uh, at first, you're kind of drunk. You're not seeing everything. Uh, and then as time goes, eh, that's a real person. Maybe I don't like them so much, you know? Sure. Um, but Don is, I feel, a very heartfelt at the end of this scene where he – basically clinging to Megan, saying, I thought I'd lost you, and he's weeping, he's sad about it. He doesn't want to lose her. He doesn't, no, certainly. Uh, he, he values her But he her will if he doesn't figure this shit out. Definitely, yeah. Uh, so then Don goes back uh, to work, and you talked about how they kind of smile at each other there, uh, maybe not so genuinely. But then Cooper's waiting for him with some uh, crossed-out work. and Subpar Cooper, work. Yeah. Unsatisfactory. He goes in to meet with him in the conference room, and Cooper tells him, He's not doing his job. And he's the only person at the office that can do that, right? If Pete uh, told Don yeah. you're not doing your job. I think any of the partners could, honestly. No. Yeah, because when Pete. you're partners, Pete is not a partner. He's a junior partner. Eh, he's not a full partner. All right. So you think Rod? No, <laughs> I, I think Roger could have done it. I think. No, uh, don't agree. I think Lane could have done no, it. No, especially don't agree. No, I think they all have the right to do it. Whether they have or not the they right. Stood up to Don. I'm I don't talking know. about the ability to bring him up short where his. Okay. He's sit there, jaw dropped, staring out the office for, mm-hmm. you know, a, 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 a dramatic moment of time watching people walk by. I think maybe Roger could have done it. Maybe. Now, because it would be so surprising to Don. Don you know? has lost so much respect for Roger in the last five years. Mm. Yeah, that's probably Plus, true. he would be he would be seeing Roger as a miserable, bitter, enfeebled old man and not the Not newly, if he comes in with, I have a prediction. Not only the newly cosmic aware Roger. It's going to be a beautiful day. <laughs> Roger comes in saying that. And Which again, saying, books in the shitty day. You know, exactly. Uh, it kind of reverses that. Now... 
but when, one last bit of symbolism I want to ask you about. Right. What were you going to say? Uh, first? I was going to say when when Don suggests to Cooper that this is none of your business. <laughs> what the fuck was he thinking? Because right. Cooper's absolutely right. This is my business. Since before you were alive, Junior. <laughs> yeah. By the way. Yeah. I've been doing this for how long? I lost my testicle to this business. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you. Did he? Yeah. He lost a ball to it? That was uh, cool. We found that in Roger's memoirs. He either, oh he's either one ball down or two. I'm not sure. Oh. Mm. Uh, well, might, we know he's got some balls because he just called out Don. He's got huge so. metaphorical clankers. Oh, well, yeah. he can't clank. There's only one of them. No, he they're, they're yeah, whatever. It's the sound <laughs> of one ball clanking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me. So, so you had this nice shot of Don gazing out from the conference room of all these people walking by the enormous glass. He's in another yeah. glass box of emotion. Uh, so everybody in the office is walking in one direction, and Peggy comes carooming in from the left side, the sinister side. Mm-hmm. Uh. Anything to that, you think? Uh, I don't know. You were the one who kind of you got all the other principal cast come in from that direction. And and I shot then... it down like a can of beans. <laughs> yeah, like a, <laughs> like a poorly like a bean pitched pitch. bean uh, campaign. I don't know, listeners. I'd love to see what you thought of that. If you if you noticed it, but I thought it was very deliberate that she was this lone figure walking in from the left side, and everybody else was panning, you know, exit stage right. Possibly. There is a lot of symbolism in this episode. It's it's exhausting. It really is. It takes is. me so long, much longer to recap this, and now I've got to a similar trap that I got into Breaking Bad where I feel like maybe I'm reading into everything and nothing. Yeah, yeah. that's that's the, the trouble of podcasting about this. If I were a viewer, I would have watched it one, maybe one and a half times. Right. I watched it almost four times to try to pick up on all this stuff. And right. It's it's really mentally exhausting to try and figure out what's meant by everything here, but, but again, it's also fun. Yes, honestly, yes, it's ex- a lot of fun. Again, this is uh, to me top five, certainly, maybe even mm-hmm. top three. It's it's it's, but but my God, this this season is escalating quickly. I oh, feel yeah. like we've had more stuff happen in, in this part of the season, this first half. Yeah, I was going to say we're halfway through. Then we're the short half, but still more has happened than an entire season of previous Mad Men's. Uh, yeah, you're probably but right I think about that. Probably because we know enough about these characters that Weiner can, uh, <laughs> that Matt Weiner can stop uh, telling us, dribbling out this information with his characters and teasing it out, and now he can just mm. he's got these. The stage set with all these characters, he can just let them play. Or maybe he's he's not trying to tell as much as the history of the characters, more the future of these characters. Right. It's uh, another play on time. Oh, Whoa. Matt Wiener, you're so deep. The Wiener. Uh, the Wiener's yeah, deep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the Wiener the wiener drives deep. Re- really good episode. We'll, we'll call it an episode at that. How about uh, next episode? It's called At the Codfish Ball. Ooh, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know what that no means. But and of course, the previews were completely worthless. I'm I'm hoping Michael J. Fox will make an appearance because of uh, his enchanted under the sea whatever <laughs> dance that wasn't back oh, in the yeah? future. Yeah, but I don't think so. <laughs> enchantment under the sea. <laughs> Jesus, uh, that's all I've got. Do you have some feedback? I have for us? a ton of feedback. Let's uh, do it. Started off, uh, and I had to really edit these down. So I hope I didn't lose anybody's uh, uh, flavor. Uh, John Shepard said uh, he sent us. So we got a, a little bit of the mailbag from a previous episode. Okay, he sent us one death reference from last cast that we missed. Oh, uh, Don say saying right. going to the country makes you want to blow your brains out. Yeah, I thought we talked about that. I don't think we did. Uh, I'm pretty sure we did. Maybe uh, <laughs> Shep just missed that. 
Well, I missed it too. So it's like there again, um, seems to be indicative of Pete blowing his head off. Yeah, yeah. We got a lot of discussion about this in the podcast. Yeah, we got tons of that last episode. Uh, Lisa Langford writes us, says, love your podcast. Can I be your senior black correspondent? Okay. Lisa being a lady of color. We could use it. We should, yeah. You know, a apparently woman's perspective. She wrote into two white crackers at <laughs> <Yeah>. com. <laughs> that is really Did you, oh my God, there, Link on Grantland was this scathing review of Mad Men and it called it, 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 it was, it, I was split, laughing out loud by the end of it. It said the Mad Men is the honkiest show. That's ever you bad. It celebrates honky. Idiots. It's, it's, it's one of those, shut up. It celebrates honky culture. And also, it's a, it's, it loves to set the honky blogosphere on fire. And especially loves, and honkies love nothing more than the podcast, which is the honkiest form of art of all. <laughs> I just had like, he's got me. You can't, I'm, we're so yeah. white, we're practically clear. So we could definitely use your, your, your input there, Lisa. Certainly. Uh, on Mad Men, she says Don has a real life counterpart. Caroline Robinson Jones started her career at J. Walter Thompson in 1963 as a secretary and eventually rose to creative director. Hmm. In 1968, Jones formed the black owned ad agency Zebra Associates before going on to do all kinds of trailblazing things in advertising. She also notes parenthetically that she wants Lane and Don to get together as Lane had that fever last season with the black Playboy bunny, his chocolate bunny. To get together with Dawn. Oh God, I keep forgetting D-A-W-N, they have the same name. Jesus. Yeah. Although the Don and <laughs> Lane would also be a nice little slash. Bear. Oh, they'd be a maniacal fist fighting duo, man. <laughs> you get uh, Don kicking in the doors, and then Lane going in fist first. No, see, I'm seeing like Don tries <laughs> to rough sex on Lane, and Lane you know gives him an arm bar, and, and Don's crying out uncle, and it just makes it that much hotter. <laughs> okay, Don D A W makes mo- way more sense. <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm talked into D O N Lane. For now. Uh, but I could definitely see D-A-W in. Okay. Uh, and Lane working out, sure. All right. Uh, so thank you for that, Lisa. Uh, He's got to get rid of his pesky wife first. Yeah. I think that's in the cards. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Stow writes in, hey, guys, love the podcast. I assume someone would have emailed you this, but since they didn't, I'll step up to the plate. He goes back to, I think, episode three uh, with the Rolling Stones trying to get signed for Heinz. The Rolling Stones played in New York at Forest Hills on July 2nd, 1966, and a music festival included the Standles, the Runettes, and opening acts, the Trade Winds, the Ugly Duckin- Ducklings, the Rogues, and the McCoys. The Trade Winds were an American band out of Providence, Rhode Island, with a couple of, a couple of minor hits. Harry excitedly signed this band to do the Heinz Beans commercial. Hmm. So nice. he sleuthed it out as the trades wins. Cool. Uh, Mary says uh, she is our female correspondent from the 60s. All right. And she says, I'm glad that I've got that role. Um, she says, I'm not Peggy. But she goes, I am not Peggy, uh, you silly. <laughs> so um, I forget where I was. I badly edited this paragraph. I'm so sorry, Mary. It doesn't do you justice. Let's go on to an unedited paragraph. On this week's podcast, you asked about the scene where the men were wearing lobster bibs. I think this is a common practice in seafood restaurants. I ate at a Papa Do's in Houston a few years ago, and they provided bibs for everyone who ordered crawfish, lobster, etc. cetera. Uh, also found it's common in New Orleans. So it's more of a mm-hmm. seafood thing than a 60s thing. I don't – and then um, Jason from the Nattercast said that I guess when you break open a lobster – with like the big oh, nutcrackers, shit shoots everywhere. it shoots everywhere, and like yeah. a lot of restaurants nowadays um, pre-split it for you, yeah. which is why you don't need to bid because you can just take the meat out. Mm. Uh, so maybe that's at any restaurant that doesn't have the pre-split carapace. 
dispense it has to have the bibs all right uh, also want to comment on why edwin baker from jaguar may not have wanted to go out in the town of lane and he asked for an account man two reasons a account service people are known for doing whatever it takes to satisfy the client and b edwin probably was concerned it could get back to his wife since the women seem to be acquainted just a thought yeah that's a really good point very good point uh jared g says hey guys big fans of all your podcasts this is my first time writing you guys. Just something I noticed about last week's episode when Peter tells Don. You know, I think it's the first time we've had a longtime listener, first time writer type email. I don't think it's the first time. I think it's the first time. I think the first almost email a, we got would be that. Almost a year into it. No, there wouldn't be a long no, time listener then. Hmm. Anyway, um, something I noticed about last week's episode when Peter tells Don that he has nothing. It reminded me a lot of the scene from Breaking Bad between Walt and Jesse in season three after Jesse got the shit beat out of him by Hank. Oh, spoiler alerts. And Jesse tells Walt off about how he has nothing because of getting involved with Walt's drug trade, which is his favorite scene of the whole series. Both of them had just got the shit kicked out of them and are in their lowest state. And I feel sympathy for both of them because Jesse truly had nothing at that moment. And Peter has everything, but none of it as anything he wants. It's kind of heartbreaking. So yeah, not heartbreaking here because nobody liked Pete. <laughs> nobody liked him. I kind of warmed up to Pete. Now he's back this season. He, you know, roared back into my bad side. Yeah. Uh, Cynthia writes us and says, "I don't think the new Stoodle means that one of the five main characters will die. I think it'll be Betty. Oh, she's becoming unhinged. She'll overdose on pills, and then the kids will be shipped back to Don. He'll have to be a better t- dad this time, which he doesn't know how to be. He'll just go back to his boozing, and philandering behavior. Megan will get sick of it and leave him. Definitely think mm. that that's probably in the cards. What do you think about that? Uh, no one's mentioned so far that Betty. We've talked about Sally. We've talked about Pete. We've mm. talked about Roger. I don't think there's been any serious contention that Don's going to die. Or Cooper. Bert has been one of them. What do you think uh. about Betty? Uh, I like Betty because if you, you think like about Betty, it, no, stunning, no, no. stunning revelation <laughs> no, no, no. here. In a bald I fucking move. hate Betty. <laughs> uh, I like Betty dying. How about that? Uh, because she's Harsh. right. It would be interesting to see what that would do to Megan and Don's relationship. If suddenly the kids were there full time and Megan's got to take care of them, you know, when everybody says Megan's got that like motherly touch, but it's uh-huh. really easy to do that when your kids are, the kids are part time. Yeah, yeah, and when they come in full time, and she will basically have to quit the the agency, right? Probably that's what Don would expect her to do. Surely. Unless they're they're getting a maid or something, or a, a yeah. Anyway, whatever. moving on. Yeah, uh, Dan in New York says the girl in the driver's ed class not only looked like a younger version of Peggy, which was his thesis, but I think the actress was intentionally imitating Elizabeth Moss, the character who plays mm. Peggy's characterization of mannerisms. Peggy very often seems to be giving little shakes of her head no while she's talking. The girl in Driver's Ed seemed to be doing the same thing. Hence Pete's attraction to her, which reveals he's not quite over Peggy. Interesting. Yeah. By the same token, Handsome could be seen as a younger version of Don, and Pete lost Peggy to Don in the sense that Peggy chose to be Don's protege and pursue a career rather than keeping Pete's baby. Nice. Solid, Dan. I like it. Speculation for the win. Must be his New York roots. He's he's closer to Mad Men source than we are. He's able to see further. Closer to that Madison Ave or whatever it is. All right. Uh, Jason from the Nattercast, which you can again find at nattercast.blogspot.com. They do lots of podcasts and t- about everything but Mad Men, actually, and they need to start. Uh, he talks about the, on the alcohol content of vanilla extract. 
which we talked about briefly <laughs> last uh, episode. Yeah, we were surprised that she got drunk off of it. He said, evidently only us old-timers who grew up in the era of 8-bit video games and 2-bit family dramas recall when Alex Keaton's uncle, played by Tom Hanks, terrorized the Keaton family with his actually completely charming and wacky alcoholism. TV alcoholism in the 80s <laughs> didn't... Kind of like Roger. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, TV alcoholism in the 80s didn't involve profuse sweating, vomiting, slurred speech, or random mood swings and violence. Just excessive, boundary-defying wackiness. He also included a clip of uh, where he says Forrest Gump educates Marty McFly on the difference between Miller time and vanilla time. Uh, and I looked it up. Vanilla extract is 35% alcohol or oh. roughly 70 proof. Holy shit, man. So if you had a big bottle of, oh, yeah. you know, that's five, six shots worth, I guess you could get drunk off that. Especially if you're a first-time teetotaler. Yeah, definitely. Uh, he continues, the look on Pete's face watching a teen carnage in Signal 30 reminded me of his borderline pornographic animal murder fantasy in season one. That's the one I talked about, his cabin in yeah. the woods fantasy. <laughs> that's from episode seven, Red in the Face, if you want to check that out. And one of the secretaries this season mentioned how Charles Whitman, who was a topic of conversation at Pete's dinner, kept telling people about his mental problems and no one would listen. Just like no one listens to Pete. What I'm saying is that Pete Campbell is going to have to choke a bitch. And learning how to drive will enable this chokery. Serial killers need to have cars. Mm. <laughs> or minivans. Uh, <laughs> I'm going with a Pete Campbell suicide following a murder spree and possible hostage situation. Whoa! This is an outside call, I'll admit, but no one ever gives you credit for safe calls. I'm also offering good odds that his last wish will be to be buried in his stereo or maybe next (laughs) to Wilt Chamberlain. Uh, Finally, we asked about what the Beethoven's Ninth Symphony would have something to do with this episode. Well, Jason knows. Oh. Uh, He says the Ninth Sympathy, especially the choral or the choral, the choral in the fourth movement was a huge innovation in the form of classical music and it parallels the musical innovations of the late sixties. Some critics Mm. at the time were put off by the ninth feeling that it broke too many rules. Second, the lyrics of the choral are almost Bobby McFarren, like ode to joy. It's even called the ode to joy. And the German word for joy is Freud as in Sigmund Freud. Dun, dun, dun. Interesting. So you've got Pete Campbell, Living in the suburbs, listening to a piece of music that was the white album of its day, whose primary lyric is Joy or Freud, while staring at his coffin-sized stereo. Any bets that the next song he <laughs> listens to on that thing will be Helter Skelter? <laughs> nice. Wow. Again, cool. quality speculation and analysis there, Jason. Yeah, cool little connections. Uh, they may not mean anything in the long term, but man, I like those cool little uh, riffs. Agreed. Uh, Beth writes in... Pete, 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 you freak. Not to be all social worker on him, but he fits the antisocial personality disorder perfectly. He's a budding sociopath. The narcissism, the people don't respect me attitude, all fodder for a freak out of massive proportion. First, who the hell keeps a gun at their office? Uh, Me. Pete. And Pete. Yep. No, I don't keep a gun in my office that you know. Uh, oh, Pete. Oh, or, oh, yeah, Pete. You should fall, all fall to your knees and fuck me like I'm a king. Campbell does. I think the robot who pulls out the screw is Pete and what he's that he's going to go batshit crazy and take some people out. Beth and mm. Jason like this. Uh, the foreshadowing of the serial rapist and then the comments about the sniper not so subtly allude to such a possibility. Not to mention that every driver's ed class has to do with carnage and mayhem. Hint, hint. At least I hope that Pete goes wackadoodle and uses the gun to justify all the Don talk or gun talk rather. So, so we think Roger's going to die and we think Pete's going to kill somebody. Does that connect? 
Again, Is I just... Pete going to kill Roger? Man, the show would be fundamentally different without both Pete and Roger. Oh, certainly, yeah. Which is cool, but mm. it would be sad. It's fundamentally different with Megan. Yeah. That happened. Yeah. So they could do it. And uh, it'd be interesting. I, I, Wiener has given me no reason not to trust him. Yeah. So we'll see. She continues, Beth does, on the Don-Pete parallel. Don definitely sees himself in Pete, the old Don that is, and I think that is helping him push Don towards moral living. We rarely see the negative in ourselves until we see it in other people. It could be self-preservation because Don knows Pete's one 18-year-old girl dissing him away from a tower and his gun. <laughs> I think this is also why Don said what he did to Pete in his uh, what he did to Pete in his cab because Don sees himself in Pete and doesn't want Trudy to become Betty. Perhaps also a nod to why Don lit up like Snooky's tanning bed when Trudy brought out the baby. It is now. It was a nod to how happy Don was during that time of his life with Betty and the kids in the beginning, and he doesn't want Pete to become who he was. On to the new stuff, uh, Dan and New Actually, that that kind of reminds me. Did they actually make a baby on the side of the road there? Because Don certainly seemed to want one at that point. What was it? I, I don't know exactly when that happened this season, uh, but he tells her to pull over. Right. Well, they'd had the pill and by says, that hey, time, I want- right? I, well, who knows if Megan's on that? Well, she certainly doesn't want a baby, so I would assume she was. Uh, I don't think that's a, a great assumption to make, man. I'm just wondering how how much more difficult would it be if their relationship broke up, but they have a kid now together. Yeah, I almost said I'm surprised Roger didn't get a baby out of this relationship, but he did. It just was from the wrong woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, ready to move on to the new stuff. Sure. Yep. Uh, Dan in New York says, to me, this is the best episode of the season so far. Yeah, it's filled good. with intricate meanings and visually with its LSD trip and Howard Johnson setting was a step above the usual. I think the key to this episode is the title, Faraway Places. It's all about trips, man. Mm-hmm. Roger and Jane have a good trip on LSD. Don and Megan have a bad trip to Howard Johnson's. Peggy goes to see a movie about Africa and confirms she is born free by giving the handy. Yep. They all she, come back. She trips over a movie seat theater and lands on a dick. <laughs> a slip trip lands on a dick. Her hand does. Uh, they all come back from the journeys having learned something about their relationships. Roger and Jane break up, which is ominous for Don and Mega. Megan. And Mega. The, Mega Megan. <laughs> there are also many parallels between the two couples. They even threw in a linguistic parallel. Jane spoke to her father in Yiddish while Megan speaks to her mother in French. Roger didn't even recognize the language signaling, signaling their estrangement. Hot damn, that's good. Yeah. Don at least knows it's French. There's still hope for him and Megan, especially if he heeds her warning that they diminish themselves every time they fight. But notice also that Megan described Howard Johnson's as a stopover, not a destination. Perhaps this will turn out to be her view of their marriage. Ooh. Oh, hey now. Uh, And there's another reference to a trip. Ginsburg's journey from concentration camp to America. He describes himself as a Martian child. This has got to be a reference to Robert Heinlein's 1961 science fiction novel, Stranger in a Strange Land. As a nerd, it's a title Ginsburg would be familiar with. It's about a boy raised on Mars who comes to Earth and begins a movement involving sexual freedom and expanded consciousness. Ooh, I don't know about Ginsburg and sexual freedom. He no, seems but, wound a little too tight, but but I get you. It gets it sets the theme of the episode, and I caught that too. But I decided mm-hmm. to uh, let Don here have the uh, now the the dynamic duo Dan, rather the dynamic duo of Ginsburg and Peggy maybe the sexual freedom stuff because Peggy's a little more free about and that. she's 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 a little drug friendly too. She's handing she's, out handies all over town. She's Peggy Olson, and she wants to try marijuana and maybe LSD. Yeah, um, where was I at? Key to the 60s and to Mad Men and to this episode, uh, the what he talked about before. Notice also the title, Stranger in a Strange Land. 
invoking Rachel Minkin's ruminations about exile from the first season. You remember her, right? The no. department store heiress. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I remember her. Uh, then, as now, all the characters are, to one degree or another, alienated from their own lives. Very nice. Thank you, Dan. Yeah. Uh, Eric Tav on Facebook says, Roger's the greatest man in the history of men. Everyone else gets all touchy-feely when they trip, but his first manifestations are, of course, alcohol and tobacco. <laughs> and damn, I want his bathtub. I don't know that people get touchy-feely when they're high. Well, these people when they're did. Tripping. They all seem to go kind of a little emo. And Roger just wanted uh, to drink and oh, smoke. Oh, yeah. The one girl's like rubbing on the dude's face, dude's face. walking around like a cat. Yeah. And, um, he also said, I was honestly afraid that the episode would end with either Roger or Megan dead. I think Don <laughs> learned a lot about what he has in Megan and what he stands to lose. Do you think Betty would have taken a six and a half hour bus ride anywhere to tell Don to fuck off? Oh, fuck no. I wonder what she would have done. She would have. She would. She he would have returned to the restaurant. She would have been sitting there crying. Yeah, probably. Yeah. And she'd be, you know, whatever. I want to move on. I'm getting sick. <laughs> uh, Cynthia Brook uh, says I got very nostalgic about Howard Johnson's. I remember my dad taking me little, my little brother and me there when I was six years old. We were ready for bed in our pajamas. He scooped us up, put us in the car, and drove us to Hojo so we could get some ice cream. <laughs> sure. But- so as I watched episode time trip for me too. Uh, all the couples are falling apart. Roger and Jane, poof. Peggy and Abe will soon also be poof. Don and Megan, they'll be done by the end of the season. He's, mm. quote-unquote, happy in his marriage, but as we saw last night, Don will screw it up. Yeah. Yep, I've, I'm with you there. D. Chandler said, not my favorite episode this week. The Voice of Descent. Mm. A bit too wacky for my taste. Mm. I thought it was interesting that Roger seems to be his on his way back up and Don on his way back down, which reminded me of the George Elaine balance in Seinfeld. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, there Very was that interesting episode parallel. Where, yeah. Uh-huh. George stopped having sex, I think. And he got constantly smarter and smarter. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> More than anything else this season, I'm intrigued by Ginsburg. Totally unsurprised by the Holocaust connection, but I suspect there's going to be a horribly sad ending to his story. Could he be the much foreshadowed suicide, I wonder? There's another hmm. one in the suicide. We need a big freaking board we can yeah. lay odds up here in the Bald Move headquarters. Uh, anything to say? Nope. Good. Moving on. Kathleen Care Bailey says, I only started watching Mad Men this season because I hear you guys talk about it on the Walking Dead and Game of Thrones cast. So I have no backstory in these people. Oh, Everything no. I say may be totally off. <laughs> it I can't believe she's stepping into season five and not drowning. Uh, yeah, that would I, I'd feel like Pete, I'd want to blow my head off uh, if I were to try to do that. There's there's a lot of good stuff you missed in the first four seasons, but uh if you don't have the time, I guess you don't have the time. Uh, so I would actually like to see by the end of the season, how she feels about it and whether, yeah. how much of a handicap it was. Of course we are kind of outlaying as we podcast, we're talking about the a little bit filling of in the detail. Yeah. Uh, but she says, I think the only thing peg uh, keeping Peggy from being Don Draper is that she currently anyway has more integrity and she's a woman. When she told off the Heinz guy, I kept thinking that if it was Don and assertive alpha male talking, the Heinz guy would have said, you're right. Let's go for it. Yeah. Peggy's a truly interesting character. I'm still trying to suss out if the hand job was a power move or a woman usually want to please move. I got. It I was, felt like it was her searching more, like just not understanding what she wants or needs to do with her life. Still, I thought she, it was a power move. You did? Uh huh. Hmm. You know, like a just hey, I can do this instead of being passive and I'm letting you do this to me that I'm getting hands on. <laughs> 
Ha ha. Nice. Ha-ha. Uh, right. Oh, if Megan was my friend, I would tell her to run screaming from Don. He's definitely got a, ca- a lot of caveman tendencies, and I didn't feel mm-hmm. the least bit sorry for him considering he drove off and left her. Yeah, Don is a lot of walking red flags. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Don is never... We talked about this last episode. Don is not a nice guy. No. By any stretch of the imagination. He's a monster. Yeah. He's a sympathetic yeah. monster because you see everything that's happened to him in his life to get into this point. And he's a product of the time to a large degree. He's a product so. of time. Product of his his upbringing and the circumstances there, but still, yeah, a monster. <laughs> he is a little bit of American Psycho. Uh, longtime fan and listener Jamie, who goes back, uh, we debated several weeks whether she was a girl or boy yeah, on Breaking Bad, and she's back, and okay. she's got some speculation and some re- insight here. Am I alone in completely falling in love with Ginsburg after this episode? You're not. I like him a lot too. That I actually got a few – I didn't read a lot of the kind of one-liner type stuff on Facebook, but there was a few – there was uh, not just one or two females expressing appreciation for him. Oh. That Martian speech blew my mind. With all the relationship upsets in this episode, I can't help but suspect we might be seeing some prelude to a Peggy Ginsburg hookup. Yeah. I got one on my side there. She's still with Abe <laughs> at this point, but like they were arguing about, she's such a workaholic, I think the work relationship would be a better fit. Well – they're, she's more available. They're both going to be there at the office anyway. Just use Don's couch. It's true. Put him in the drawer. Just open it when she needs him. <laughs> <laughs> like a like a bottle of Canadian Club. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's see. Of all the guys in the office, Ginsburg doesn't act entitled. Oblivious, but not entitled. He has a sensitive side that he's not ashamed to show. Speaking of Pegging being a work- workaholic, I love how Bert reamed Don out for leaving the office but told Peggy good girl when she went to the movies. Love the show, guys. Thanks, Jamie. Yeah, that was a little weird that Cooper didn't care that um, Peggy's I, ducking out. See, I didn't – I want to disagree with Jamie a little bit. I didn't agree that he didn't care. In fact, it was a little judgy the way everybody's leaving early here uh, today yeah. while he's sitting there in his bare socked feet reading the <laughs> newspaper. I thought maybe it was because – they can get inspiration from movies or something. So that wasn't a horrible thing for her to do. Uh, I mean, yeah. I don't know. No, obviously it's not horrible for her to do. So She's not fired. So. No. Um, that's all I got. We have no spoilers as our tradition for Mad Men because the yeah. wiener is a spoiler-hating security freak. <laughs> that ship yeah. has been airtight. Nothing on Reddit, nothing on usual channels. We're going to so. email them, see if we can get some screeners for the next season. The other thing is um, some people have cited interviews with John Slattery uh, and a couple others as mm. proof about character motivations. I'm getting the feeling these characters are instructed to lie. Because oh, after yeah? the first episode, he's like, oh, no, Roger's not threatened by Pete at all. Bullshit. <laughs> I feel like Weiner tells them, mm-hmm. don't tell them anything. Give them misinformation. Punish them for asking you those questions. Yeah, yeah. So hmm. just something to think about if you're if you're reading these interviews. I've seen a couple other blatant contradictions, but are you ready to initiate the outro sequence? Yes. A.K.A. where everyone switches off the podcast because <laughs> the good <laughs> stuff is over. Do it. Uh, See you guys later. If you'd like to keep up with everything we're doing here in the Ball Move Empire, which includes such activities as Justified and The Walking Dead and Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones, we've got complete coverage of Game of Thrones if you'd like to start that with us. Oh, you can yeah. do that. Find that at ballmove.com. If you'd like to give us email uh, on Mad Men, please do so at madmen at ballmove.com. You can also follow me on Twitter. Or, sorry. Screwed up there. Jim at Twitter at baldmove.com. Me on Facebook at facebook.com slash baldmove. 
there's a couple ways you can support us. Number one, if you got some madmen friends in your office, family, friend circle, please tell them about Bald Moves so we can get them in our conversation too. Uh, we also would really appreciate iTunes reviews. We're up to around 50 now, and yeah, we've awesome. hit the top 10, even the top five on New and Notable uh, on iTunes on the strength of your guys' reviews, so we appreciate that. Uh, also, we still haven't quite got a alternative source of funds. We're working on like a, a donate button, some more merchandise, but the way you can materially contribute to us right now is going to our affiliate link on baldmove.amazon.com. Yeah. We feel a, a little shitty about just taking money. You know? Yeah. <laughs> We, yeah, we tried. We're trying not to do that, but people but it, have suggested it. If you've got button. some more problems with Amazon, the way they do business, we can yeah. you know have a PayPal donate button to throw us a buck or two. Um, but anyway, how the Amazon thing works, and you can go to our banner. There's a big yellow banner at the top of BaldMove.com. You click on that, it takes us to it takes you to the homepage of Amazon with our affiliate link embedded for that session. And anything you buy while after clicking that link or following our our uh, Amazon.BaldMove.com link. Gives us a little bit of the profits that Amazon would keep to themselves. It doesn't. Again, I say this every time, but it does not add anything to your order. Yeah, it doesn't it's, cost you a cent. It's just pennies and nickels and dimes that Jeff Bezos would keep for himself. So he share it with us. Keeps us in Canadian Club and Violet. Candies. I mean, the man doesn't pay sales tax. He doesn't charge you sales tax. So That's just, true. You know, just just give some of those pennies to us. It's only fair. <laughs> and guess. it keeps the light it keeps uh it keeps our bandwidth paid for and uh you know we love doing this and it's nice that uh, we can keep it as revenue neutral as possible so we can spend our money on canadian club and not have to purple candies and, and purple candies purple handies and <laughs> magic sugar cubes and we don't have to go uh you know in the hawk for the bandwidth i wonder so. if she was uh eating some of those purple candies and then just the hand job was a big purple hand job guy gets home he looks How at his the dick f- and it's purple <laughs> She's eating those purple candies, man. I'm way too tired to <laughs> right. analyze that statement. That's it, then. We're calling it a cast. I think so. All right. Uh, next episode, as I said, is going to be called At the Codfish Ball. And until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See you guys then. Mm-hmm.